Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And she remembers vividly Vashti, the queen before her, that this king is nobody to toy with. And so she's fearful. She's afraid. What Mordecai is asking her to do is to put her neck on the chopping block. That you've been appointed at such a time as this. And Mordecai says this. Not only that, if you don't go and you don't plead the cause of our people, you're going to die anyway. Because you're a Jew too, and it's only a matter of time before they find out that you're a Jew. So she's in this turmoil. And what does she do? She asks the people to pray and fast. That's what she calls for this time of prayer and fasting. She's wanting the Lord to speak to her. She's wanting the Lord to speak to the people. She's wanting, do I go into the king? Do I risk my life? What am I supposed to do? You ever been there before? You ever been there where, where you were challenged to do something very hard, very difficult, that it had something to do with the integrity of the Lord? And you were asked to do it, but you were afraid. You were afraid of losing that relationship. You were afraid of losing your job if you blew the whistle on one of your managers. You were afraid. To, you knew it was the right thing to do, but you had this quandary going on, and there was this fear, what does God want me to do? I think of the Holocaust when Christians knew what they should have done in Germany and there they are worshiping in churches and some of the history recorded says they were singing hymns as the rail cars were going by and they would hear the sound of the rail car and they would just sing louder and they knew those rail cars were filled with Jews headed to their death. But they didn't act on it. They didn't act on it. And so here in the book of Esther, we see this happening. I don't know where you've been before. I don't know the circumstance that you had to run up against before. But sometimes God asks us to do things that are pretty risky. Sometimes God asks us to do things that put our own reputation in jeopardy. Sometimes God will ask us to do things that, that become pretty risky with the relationships that we have, even with family. When it comes to bringing them the gospel, we're like, man, do I do it or not? I love mom and dad. I love my sister. I, love, I, I just don't want to do this. And you're at this position where, what do I do? Do I honor God? Because the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare. And so here she is. And then she decides she's got to go through with it. She's got to go through with this. And so she puts her neck on the chopping block. And when she gets before the king, what's going to happen? Is the king going to extend the scepter? Meaning, what do you want? How can I help you? What's your wish? Or is he going to snap his fingers and call in the guards and have her put to death? And so she's there before the king, and the king extends the scepter and says, I love that. He wants to know, what do you want? What's your wish? And you know what she says? One thing about Esther, you got to know that she was gentle as a dove, but she was wise as a serpent. That woman can think. That woman had it going on in her head, and she, she said, you know what? What I really want, I want you, and I want your prime minister, your right-hand man, I want you both to come to a banquet that I'm going to hold for you tomorrow night. I want you guys to just attend. And so 
He grants her wish. He shows up at the banquet. She's got a beautiful meal put there. The candles are probably burning. The atmosphere is perfect. The food is great. The wine is good. The king's having a good time. His wife's serving him and all this. And he says, what do you want? What's your wish? And she says something very interesting. She doesn't put out there that my people are under a threat including me because I'm Jew. She doesn't say that. She says something very interesting. She says, what I want is for you and your right-hand man, Haman, to come back tomorrow night for another banquet, and there I will tell you what I want. And we don't understand that until we begin reading in chapter 6 and 7. We don't understand what the re- why did she do that. In fact, I would put before you, Esther didn't know why she even said that at the time. I believe God moved on her heart to say that because what happens after that banquet and the banquet the next night becomes very important. That night the king goes home and that night the king can't sleep. Some people look in the book of Esther and they see the king not sleeping at that moment and they say that was divine insomnia. It was God who kept the king awake. It was God who was working over the king at that time where he was tossing and turning and he just couldn't go to sleep. Because what happens is the king tells the chamberlains to go get the chronicles because I can't sleep and I want you to read them to me. So the chamberlain, the young men who were serving him, they go get the chronicles and they open up the book. Now, I don't know why that the king wanted to hear what was in the chronicles. You know, did he want to hear about all the great acts he did? Was he one of those guys? Because the Persian kings are are puffed up. The Persian kings are full of themselves. They're like Haman. And they just like to hear about all the great things that they've done. Or was it because the chronicles are so boring It's like some people approaching the Bible, it just puts them to sleep. Whatever the reason is, he says, go get the Chronicles and read the Chronicles to me. Here's what 6.1 says, On that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now remember what Mordecai did. Saving the king's life, it was recorded in the Chronicles. So what are the chances out of reading all of these great things that happened in the kingdom that they would read about what Mordecai did? And that's exactly what had happened. They're reading the Chronicles and he gets to the story of how this man Mordecai had exposed a plot to take his life. And all of a sudden his ears perked up And he sits up on bed. I can envision him now. And he says, what has been done to honor this man? What has done to... I mean, if somebody saved your life, if somebody exposed a plot that was going to take you out of this world, wouldn't you want to honor that person? Wouldn't you want to take him to sell you for lunch or, you know, the sizzler for a salad bar or something? And what has been done to honor this man? And they said, nothing. Nothing's been done to honor this man. No money has been given to him. Nothing, no recognition has been, nothing has been given to this man. So the next morning, 
King Ahasuerus is thinking about all of this, and he sees Haman out on the courtyard, and he calls Haman in. And Haman comes in, and the king says to Haman, he says, hey, if you wanted to honor somebody, what would you do for him? And Haman, the puffed-up, prideful man he is, thinks that the king's talking about him. So he doesn't withhold anything, man. He's, say, he's saying, man, if this is about me, I'm going to roll out everything. This is, this is going to be great. I'm going to roll it out. And so Haman says, let the royal robes be brought that the king has worn and the horses that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set and bring them through the streets of the city so people can praise him and hail him. The king says, wow. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. So he says, hurry, take the robes and the horses you have said. Do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. <laughs> In other words, spare no detail. Whatever you've written down, not only the, the robes, not only the horror. The, I'm sure that Haman even had an after party for himself. And he says, do that for Mordecai. Now watch this. Can you imagine Haman taking the horse through the town with Mordecai on it and everybody praising <laughs> Mordecai? And even Haman had to hail praises to him. God turns the tables on the enemy there. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I often think, were angels in heaven just cracking up over this? <laughs> and you think about that. And, and so that night at the second banquet, the king comes over with Haman. This is after, after the parade and everything that the Haman's had to, to lead Mordecai through town. Now they come over for the banquet. And there they are, and, and Queen Esther has everything prepared, has the banquet prepared, has the candles lit, has everything there, and here they are again. And the king says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And she tells Ahasuerus that she and her people are in jeopardy of dying. And this is the first time the king ever hears that she's a Jew herself. The severity of wiping out a people, it's almost as if, and my wife is part of this people, and it's almost as if the severity hit him. Just a brick, a ton of bricks. You know, you've heard that expression, I felt like I was hit with a ton of bricks in my gut. That the king all of a sudden realizes this, and he says, well, what? Who's responsible for this? And Esther says, a foe and an enemy. This wicked man, Haman. The king gave Haman the signet ring. Gave him the authority with the edict. And Haman signs that edict with the king's own ring. And now the king is furiated, not only because the Jewish people, the wife he loves very much, now is in jeopardy. So he marches out onto the courtyard. He's just fuming. Rage has overtaken him, and, and he just can't think straight. So he walks out to get his thoughts together. We know Haman's a dead man. But then all of a sudden, Haman 
Esther's on the couch after dinner like they so often did. When they had a great meal, they would recline on the couch. And Haman's had plenty of wine. And he's begging Esther for his life. He's now begging her, spare me. Spare my life. And he's probably, because of alcohol, he falls on the couch with her. Right then, the king walks in and sees him on the couch with her. It's not bad enough. You want me to wipe out her people and her, the woman I love. But now you're trying to violate her in front of me? In my own house? I don't know about you, but Haman gives new meaning to the term, you're in hot water. (laughs) You're in hot water. And so needless to say, the king turns everything, and needless to say, Haman is now hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai and for the Jewish people. Haman is now 75 feet in the air because when Haman built those gallows, it wasn't enough to just have them, you know, built five feet high, six feet high. We want to expose the Jews. We want everybody in the kingdom to see them. See, that's what rage does. That's what anger does. It just gets a hold of you. And it wasn't good enough to build normal God. We're going to put them 75 feet in the air so everyone could see them. And now Haman is 75 feet in the air. And I don't know what was more painful. Him dying on the gallow like that, 75 feet in the air, or him having to march Mordecai through town and hail him, giving him a parade. But that did not solve the issue. Because you see, in the Persian government, at the time, when you signed something into law, you couldn't reverse it. It wasn't going to be erased, and it wasn't going to be changed. It was impossible. It was impossible. So hanging Haman did not solve the problem. The Jews were still at risk. But through all of that, Mordecai is exalted. Mordecai is given more power. Mordecai is given a greater position. Queen Esther is a power of influence there. And so they come up with a new decree. And the new decree was that the Jews can protect themselves. And that the Jews can now, when the enemies come on that day to butcher them, to take their plunder, that they now can legally defend themselves. And they did that day. They defeated the enemies that were coming after them. No one plundered them. No one was able to get any headway with them. The Jews were waiting and the Jews were ready. And thousands were killed that day from the Persian Empire that were trying to take out God's people. Now, we get to chapter 9. And chapter 9 is interesting because what you need to see is that God's people went from being the victims to the victors. They went and see, this is so like God where He takes His people and they're not victims, they're victors. And so we see, look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. For Haman... The Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, 
to crush and to destroy them. Now, now listen to me, that's, pur is the Hebrew term for casting lots. Pur is how the Hebrews would say cast lots, and Purim is the celebration of the casting of lots. Now think about that for a moment. You got Haman casting the lots. You got Haman casting the lots on the day they're going to annihilate the Jews. And Purim is a reminder that that lot that was cast was not a day that the Jews were annihilated, but it is a day that the Jews were liberated. So they held the day. And it's the feast day of Purim. Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The, the lots were like dice. So, you know, if you go to Vegas and you go to the crap tables and shoot dice, the Lord determines the outcome, so don't do it. We see in this whole idea the Feast of Purim, and it's celebrated every year to this day, to the day that it started there. Purim is the celebration of the lot that was cast by Haman to determine the day that the Jewish people would be annihilated, but the events on that day were turned and they were liberated instead. The date still stands. Those lots that originally determined that day is when they celebrate Purim. Now, the feast is an incredible feast, too. It's the last feast of the year on the Jewish calendar. It's on the 14th day of Adar. It just happened this last week. The Jews celebrated Purim. It is one month to the date to the celebration of Passover, Feast of Purim is not found in Leviticus 23. It's not found in anywhere else except here. Look at verses 29 to 31 with me. Read those with me. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves to their offspring with regard to their fast and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing. And this is where you find Purim in the Bible. Not in Leviticus, not in any of the Pentateuch, it's found here in Esther chapter 9, celebrated by what God did for them. It is first celebrated by a fast. Most Jews, before they go into the Feast of Purim, they will celebrate by a fast. You remember Esther said, we must fast and pray she was seeking the guidance to go before the king. And so Jews will fast before Purim in remembrance of Esther, fasting and praying. And then they will go into a time of feast. The feast of Purim is being celebrated, most importantly, by the reading of the book of Esther. The book of Esther is written in a hand scroll. It's called the Megillah. And it is one of what the Jews would refer to the Megillah, it is one of the five, and they look at Esther as the most important one read on certain feast days. For instance, the Passover, they read Song of Solomon. But during the Feast of Purim, they will read the scroll of Esther both in the evening service and in the morning service. 
And during the Purim, the command to blot out the name of Amalek is taken literally. Remember, Haman was a descendant of King Agag, who was a Malachite. And God said to blot out the name of the Malachites, right? They were going to be blotted out of memory. And on the Feast of Purim, they take that literally. So when they're reading through the book of Esther, every time the name Haman comes up as they're reading through the book, the people clap in the synagogue, then they stomp their feet, and then they yell, boo! And then they have noisemakers that make a grinding sound, and what they're doing is they're saying, God literally blotted out from memory. The amount. Can you imagine if you and I, if we were reading through the New Testament, and I got up, and I read through the New Testament, and every time Satan or a reference to Satan came up, you guys clap. Then you stomped your feet and you yelled, boo. Let's try that. Satan has no dominion here. Okay, now wait a minute. I'm talking about a synagogue service where you go in and it's very solemn. If you've ever been to a synagogue service, you find that it's very solemn. But on this day, it's absolutely wild what they do. So Satan has no dominion here. Now what they also do is they'll write on the bottom of their shoe, they'll write on the bottom of their shoe the name Haman. And so whenever they get to that point and they stomp their feet, by the time the synagogue service is done, Haman is erased from the bottom of their shoes. Isn't that cool the way they do it? I don't know about you, but I just put that on my bucket list to attend a synagogue service during the Feast of Purim so I can watch them clap for what God has done, stomp their feet because he stomped out Haman and yell boo at the name of Haman. I'm going to do that one day. I tell you what, I'm going to become Jewish for that day. They also take an offering during Purim. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22, look at this. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness. Days, watch this, for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. That's why they take the offering there. Do you know that when you realize and you celebrate what God has done in delivering us, that we are more apt to give? So ushers, come forward. <laughs> take a second offering. But they'll take this, and what they do when the offering plate comes along, they give an offering in remembrance of the half shekel that the Jews gave in maintaining the temple. But what they'll do is they'll throw in maybe a half dollar or, or silver dollar, silver coin. They'll throw into the offering plate. They'll throw paper money in, but they take out the coin money and then they'll throw it back in there, symbolizing that there was a half shekel given for the maintenance of the temple. It goes all the way back then. And then what they'll do is they'll take that offering and they give it to the poor. They give it to the poor. Not only that, they take portions of food and delicacies to friends. They'll make baskets, gift baskets of fruit, of nuts, of different delicacies, and they'll send a child over to family and friend's house. They'll knock on the door. 
And the child will be standing there with a basket to present to the family. And then they also make sure that they give at least two baskets or things to the poor so that the poor can enter into the celebration just like everybody else, even if they don't have means. What a wonderful way to celebrate. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.